Hi, this is Warren Whitlock and Warren Whitlock Show, and uh, we're here at the IBM Interconnect today and uh, talking to some of the people that are making things happen and changing the uh, way that we work. And, so, so, Ruth? Sorrow College. Sorrow College. All right. And you are, you're the, the head guy for Burst? Yeah, I'm the product manager for uh, IBM. Now, I've been hearing a whole lot about Burst. Yeah, it's going to change everything. Yes, it's, it's a new way to work. It's a new way to manage your day, to take back control, uh, to get things done. Okay, uh, good. Uh, and so in particular, it's it's what most of us would look at as an email kind of a program. What's, uh, what what does it have, uh, What would you, how would you describe it? Email plus or? Right, so the way I would describe it is we recognize email is the most ubiquitous way you uh, communicate with anyone around the world. If you're signing up for any service, social service, you need an email to sign up. And if you want to broadcast a message, people default to email because they know the message will get there. And, but that's not the, the end of it. And so as part of our strategy with connections, cloud, and social platform, first gives you that experience in email to control your inbox and manage your inbox, but still to tie into social so you can uh, pull in files from a files repository that you're sharing in your social network. You can uh, put a message from email into a community, invite people in to have a discussion there instead of just a long running thread in your email. Chat with colleagues right from the same time, start a meeting up from that verse interface. So there's a lot of different components that come into play. So it's uh, connecting me to we, that social piece, it's less clutter, more clarity, finding what you need. We give you the focus, we tell you what's important, but you help us decide what that is. Okay, so yeah, and so back to the idea of it being an email client, and part of it is that a lot of times we take an email as being something like, I gotta get out of what I'm doing and go and do email. The idea now is the email is, is always ever present yep. uh, in everything that you do. And, and the other connections that go along with that, I assume, are the social connections or whatever else you, you build on that. Right, so the email, the calendar, everyone's got meetings that they want to stay on top of. Those uh, stay present, those stay in your focus. But the goal is that email and the social tools are just that. They're tools to help you get your job done. You still got a day job, you still got to go and you know complete tasks. We're going to help you do that faster, much more easily, give you back time in your day. And with an extra hour in your day, what would you do? You could get an extra task done or leave the office a little bit early. So those are the things we're going to enable for end users. And and so um, when you're in when you're in something else, I know. Windows changed things back in the back in the day. Uh, you know, I used computer, computers, IBM PC in early '80s, and you know, it was like if you wanted to do something like send an email, it was a whole separate uh, program you had to load and whatnot. And I know the jump we made when we were able to switch Windows and things like that. In, in many cases, you're saying we're not even going to have to switch the window because we'll be able to do the task right there. Right. So the the platforms that we're going to deliver, the experience will be web-based. You can be in a browser, surfing the web, come back to a tab that has this running, access your social content, access your email, stay on top of your calendar. Also on your mobile device. As soon as I leave the office, or if I'm commuting, or if I'm traveling for work, the app that's built in will allow you to stay on top of everything that Verse provides on your mobile device. So you lose none of the features. So wherever you work, however you work, whatever your style is, Verse will be there to help you. 
So it's, all, it's always always present and it's the same kind of interface. All the data is still there? All the data is there. The experience changes because if you're on a phone, you want to see that phone experience and you know the gestures that you're familiar with on an iPhone or an Android. We provide that right out of the box with the app and you're comfortable with it. So when you launch it, you know where things are and you don't miss a beat when you go from the desktop to your mobile device and vice versa. Okay, so um, and the other thing I've seen in the little bit of demonstrations I've been able to see on this is search. And right. I, that that uh, the famous name comes up. The Jeopardy guy is going to help me. Which, yeah. <laughs> tell us about how that works. So Watson's pretty famous by now and he's, he's gotten around and some names out there. But what he really represents for us is a new way to work in the sense that if we can bring Watson to bear on the data that you have in your mail file and the data you're looking at, you yourself have a big data file. Mm -hmm. Your mail file has tons of email. How do you know all the connections and all the insights? How do you remember that an email you got now might have a link to an email you got last year? Unless you're searching it for it yourself, uh, how do you schedule a meeting with folks around the world trying to manage their calendars if they're not using the same tools? What Watson can do is help crunch that data much more rapidly and expand the scope. So you're looking in your mail file, Watson can look at your mail file. It can look at your connections data, it can look at your public data, it can go out and get Wikipedia information. So if you had a request, it could go out, grab that information and say, these are the things maybe you should look at. Uh, if you're sending a note, it takes that that text that you're writing in the note, and you can actually analyze it because it's great at analyzing text and say, this note is a little bit, uh, sounds a little bit angry, like you're, or this, song, this note sounds a little bit distressed. Are you sure you want to communicate that type of emotion to the recipient? Mm -hmm. So these are the types of insights that Watson can bring to bear with the technology that Watson is that, is that like what we talk about, the semantic web? Right, the semantics of the, the text right. inside. They can break that apart and then find the links that you, as, a, as a human, you can't you know, recognize right. that up front. Mm -hmm. well, and, and some that, that computers have had trouble with in humans. I, I know somebody told me that a good example was uh, when the computer can understand what sport you're talking about when you say you've got seats behind home plate. Right. And, uh, and Watson, I assume, has that built in. Right. You can make the inference. You can understand what the context is based on right. what you're writing. I don't need the word baseball. I just need to talk about diamond and, and it knows that we're not talking about a diamond in jewelry because we're talking about dugout and right. home runs and things like that. And if you've got it on your calendar that you're going to Fenway Park, right. you'll recognize, you can make that inference. Um, if you have posted a whole bunch of social network that you're taking a customer out to watch the game, bringing all those different data points together right. recognizes what you're doing. So I've talked to some IBMers about, about this and what they can do and how you know, important it is in large organization be able to talk. What happens when somebody like me, I'm me in the radio, little radio show, and <laughs> don't have a large staff I have to keep track of in departments. Uh, does it work for everybody? It works for everybody. Everyone's getting email, everyone is being overwhelmed by their the information coming in, and they need a better way to collaborate to manage their inbox. So this definitely applies to everyone out there, no matter how large or small the organization is. We've got in 
immense interest from large corporations, 10, 20, 30, yeah. 100,000 folks. We're moving ourselves to IBM Burst throughout the year. You know, 450,000 employees yeah. are going to be running it. So it applies to everyone because we all have the same frustration with email and with, with collaboration. So the way you, the way you designed this is, uh, is a new kind of thing too, right? Design thinking, right. Yeah. Focusing on the user experience versus us sitting down and I write down a feature list. We have our designers, an amazing team that's out there uh, based out of Austin, Texas and all around the country and the world that go to the users, watch how they work, present designs back to them about new approaches and new ways that the interface uh, could help them you know, manage their day, get that feedback, bring it back and then come up with a final design that you know, appeals to the masses, solves that need. What's that going to do to iterations? Are, you gonna, are we going to like get verse and then wait five years to get the next verse? No, I'm glad you brought that up. This is cloud-based first. And so we're able to iterate very quickly. So once we've got that initial GA out the door, we'll be able to iterate pretty fast on it, delivering features in a, in a rapid clip. And as we get more design feedback, as we get more input, we can even change the design on the fly. Obviously, we give customers a heads up and we're very well connected to the customers using the product so they're aware of what's coming down the line. And we vet a lot of that out, but we're, we're able to deliver pretty quickly. When you get hundreds of thousands of people on this, you're going to find out something. Like. You're going to find out something they didn't like, or you're going to get a new data point of how it could be better. Right. Uh, something you couldn't realize before. That's an, and the Watson technology gets into that too, so they know that uh, you know, everybody's constantly opening and closing something and it's a long thing to open. It's going to be able to say, hey, let's change the menu so that we don't waste those three keystrokes. Yeah, and Watson will help us in realizing the types of questions or types of work people are doing. Um, you know, we don't have anything you know built in where we're kind of spying on you, uh, but we have analysis there to understand where you're getting stuck. If you, right. if you jump into verse and you never figure out where your calendar is, or if you never, uh, if you're not creating calendar meetings, maybe there's a problem there when we're not at the button in the right place. We can fix that. Right. Fix that pretty quickly. Right. Yeah, and, and all these technologies, you know, I just want to highlight, are offering you a way to uh, you know, better manage your day and you know, choose who you're collaborating with. But at the end of the day, you have to We're suggesting, you know, Watson and Jeopardy provide suggestions. And it's a, this is my most confident choice, the highest you know, threshold. We're going to give that opportunity to you where you say, like that tonal uh, recognizer, tone recognizer, where we say this, this email sounds a little bit harsh, but you still have a choice to send out that email in the harsh tone because you recognize, yes, I'm, I want that harsh tone. I need this project done and this person is behind. Is there, behind. Is, is there a slider so I can make it more harsh and less harsh? <laughs> well, it'll give you some recommendations on which words are, are harsh and if you want to add some more harshness, you can do that. It's not going to rewrite the email. Though. No, it's, we're not going to be controlled by robots. Right. It's not going to take over and all of a sudden, you know, all your emails are answered. But it's going to give you a big leg up, an advantage in responding so faster, what, finding the right what, data. What about a puppy filter? A puppy filter. So when somebody sends out an announcement that their kitten, their cat had puppies, um, yeah. and a cute photo. Yeah, when you get the YouTube videos and everyone piles on, and you get the long-running threads, right. uh, we have a capability to mute all that interaction out. Right. So like, um, so like, you you start sending me. 
funny video of the day, and I don't like that. And or let's let's use the thread example. And everybody comments, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, that's funny. A thousand times. Can I? And I mute that thread. That doesn't mean I stop getting emails. I just stop getting that thread. You stop seeing anything on that thread, and it doesn't get deleted. It just gets pushed off to the side in the mute view. You can go back and access it. You can search for it. You can respond. Maybe you want to come back and respond and say, yeah, that's right. Yeah. No, I don't like that. But then yeah, that, you won't see everyone else piling up. That's a filter I want. I want the one that quotes, yeah, that's funny, so it goes out to everybody. And yeah. it leaves me off. Exactly. No, I'm kidding. Uh, of course, we would probably want to leave me off and not respond. That's yeah. the smarter thing to do. Okay. Uh, uh, great. And, um, boy, what? It just sounds like something we, we're, we're moving towards and you can find music. Once this is in place, then it's not a big switch to change it. Even, even though it looks so uh, intuitive in the design right now, it's going to take a little bit of getting used to because anything new does. But uh, once this is in place, we don't have to talk about redoing the architecture or anything. You know, we're going to continue to look at the, the architecture, but the, the base will be there. And what we're going to do is when we deliver it, you'll have access to your traditional inbox. We're not getting rid of folders. We're not getting rid of the things you're used to. We're just changing the view into all of that using analytics, using the big data model, where we're going to drive your focus to what's important. If you want to switch back to the old view, you have that capability because, as you mentioned, getting adjusted to the change takes time. And we're going to give you that time. But we feel that once you get comfortable, that's going to be the experience you live in, you're going to right. love it, and you're going to find a lot of value. Right. Well, and and it's, it's something I talk about a lot. It's pull instead of push. You don't have to say, come Monday, everybody's got to use this new software. It's going to be attractive enough for the people are going to switch in. Right. It's going to make it easier for them right. to work. Uh, so obviously it can replace Lotus Notes. What does it do? Like I have Pop3 or IMAP email or anything like that. You know? Can I attach other accounts to it and, and get all my mail that I'm used to getting from my Hotmail account? Good question. So right now, the uh, interface you know, depends on the architecture in the back end. That's a domino architecture uh, in the cloud. We can move your mail into that architecture so that you can access Verse and get all the cool capabilities. And we're looking at down the line to see how we can expand Verse where it can leverage other things in the back end, allow for different types of access. But our focus right now is, as you mentioned, getting that experience, making sure that when users use it now, they love the experience, they get value out of it, they're more productive, and then we can look at expanding beyond. Right. So yeah, of course, I want to be able to decide I want to tweet somebody that's there. I know. That. I know I can get their attention because they're on the phone and I know the person. Right. I can do that. Uh, and other people use a whole lot of SMS. You see, you know, is there any limits to what you could put in? The, the opportunity is pretty broad. And as you can see, what IBM is doing with our partnerships with Apple, with uh, Twitter, uh, expanding out to the different social networks, that we're not constraining ourselves to say that our way or the highway. We want the experience to work for you. And in the back end, we work on it over time to expand it out and make right. it broader. Application is a big one for us to make sure you, know, you can bring your apps and integrate them right into Verse right. uh, to get access. Are, are you you're, you're able to have an API or something where other programmers can add on? Yes, definitely. So one of the key concepts of Verse is around those favorites. And imagine up there you've got your workflow app that shows up. And now I can click on it and uh, you know typically this app would feed me emails or tell me to go to this other website.
website and I can feed it to me right there what I'm looking already. Right. That's already got my focus. I can see it taking action and then move on without right. having to do a hunt for anything. Hey, something just popped into my head. I've never seen this before, but I get I get done working and I want to be able to push a button and, and not get work emails for the rest of the day. <laughs> That'd be a cool app. And it doesn't yeah. sound like one that's high on IBM's list, but not yet, <laughs> but something I can uh, but, but, take down. And yeah, it would be pretty. It would be pretty yeah. interesting. That, you know. Oh, now, now it's Saturday. I want to see all the cat videos. Bring me cat videos on Saturday. Yeah. I know it's Catterday. Right. So I'll meet on the phone. You can always go and turn off notifications. So right. You shut your laptop so that right. You don't get any work emails. But yeah, I want to be able to use that same interface all the time. You know. My my lifestyle is that uh, when I get a day off, I open up the computer and watch video. I don't want it to be any different. I'm usually setting it, you know, I move around. I use the laptop, I use the desktop, I use the phone, the tablet, whatever. Right. Uh, but I, at all times, I want to decide whether or not I want to get my email. Yeah. And as a sole proprietor, that's possible. Uh, I can see that coming to, to everything. There's still people who carry two cell phones or the company laptop and their other machine. And I can see that going away where anything could be on any device. Right. And especially like on mobile, <clears throat> we have the ability. This app is built with security in mind from the ground up. Especially for companies, you want to secure the app, you can right. do it. And you can have you know your personal stuff separate. And if your company wants to delete the app, they can delete the app. But all of your pictures and everything else remain intact. Right. So you got the security, but you're respecting the personal. Body. So you could, yeah, you could. I could be using my tablet. I quit working for the, the company, yep. and none of the company stuff's there anymore. Yep, it just pulled off. Like yeah. your cat pictures and videos. I don't have, yeah, exactly. I don't have to give up my my tablet because I'm changing jobs. Right. Yeah. Uh, like portability. <laughs> Which I'm sure would be a big draw. It's, it's, again, it's not what you sell when you're selling the enterprise on it. <laughs> Although the ability to turn off a fired employee would be fun. Yeah, and enterprises actually do have that message. That message is resonating with them. Uh, it's very easy for uh, enterprises now to have employees just bring their own devices. Right. Them managing, you know, tracking serial numbers and deploying devices. If you just bring your phone, we'll put the app on there. It's secured, so we're confident the data is not going to leak. Right. And you can use your own phone. Right. And, and uh, better manage your, your you know, it, we're not restricting you from putting on a LinkedIn app on this. You know? Right. You're not going to, like, drop the company laptop someplace and it get found and somebody have access to everything. It's no longer really the device. It's not what's on it. Right. Okay, great. Well, I always end every interview with how to find somebody. I know IBM.com slash Verse to find out about Verse. Yep. Where would somebody find out if they wanted to talk to you or... Get more, or have more questions about you. Sure, uh, it's basically for my Twitter ID is at and then my name, Sarab Kalam. Okay, so S A U R A B H C A L L A. Yep. Okay. So you know it's me, no one else. Okay, great. We'll we'll provide a link when we post this online. And, Sounds good. And thank you for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. We're in Whitlock here with another IBM Interconnect interview. Uh, now I'm, I got the pleasure of talking to not one, but two Brian. So on on the left, we have uh, Brian, Brian Plaza is a change evangelist. 
I like that. I like that. We can talk about that for a while. That's that means that he can close. He can change his clothes fast. Yes. I guess that's what it is. Yeah. He evangelizes change. As long as you put it on clothes, I'm okay. And I'm trying to teach him how to change his first name to be spelled correctly with an I, not a Y. So that's right. Really, uh, it, yeah. So this, and Brian with the Y here is uh, the CEO of. Germany. Damn. And that's it. That's the that's the intro. To find out more, look these guys up online. Read all about them. These are both people you should be following all the time. So um, your your iSocial iSocial fans, fans and at Brian Kramer at Brian spelled Kramer with correctly with a Y. <laughs> I have to tell you, that's easier to remember than iSocial. <laughs> but you know the kids. We just today, had this. We were having this debate yesterday. Yeah. So let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about the uh, the, the generational difference. So I, I recall first time I really got to know you in person, New York, the IBM event. Yes. And I ended up saying that uh, they were wrong about what they were saying about millennials and including old people like me and. Uh, and, I, and you were defending me, and then the next thing I know, I'm like, wait a minute, I'm talking to a guy who's young. I had no idea. Now, I've known you for some time, but online doesn't make a difference. Right. Yeah, so I mean, I'm, I'm an oldest, like, I'm 33, so I was born in 81, so I'm on the edge of the millennial age group. Right. And, uh, but I've always firmly believed in the idea of a millennial mindset. I know that was our discussion when we were sitting at that, uh, the Thinkathon put on by Pure Matters team by Brian. Right. Uh, and uh, that was what, one of the things that hit home for me when I was talking about the mindset. And you said, yeah, I'm, I'm a, almost a 65-year-old millennial. And I love that because I think not only embracing that concept, but that's really what it's about. It's We were talking about me being 65 in the future. future yes. I'm still in my future, barely. Yes, yes you say um. whatever, yes, you say whatever, you, which I think is a very, I think it's a very unique way of looking at it instead right. of it being one variable, which is when someone was born. We're taking multiple variables of what a millennial means from a Right. So, so there are some things, I mean, we could discuss whether I can remember things before you were born. and. <laughs> I have two kids that are older than you, so there's a few things I can remember. But um, but at the same time, uh, when it comes to finding data, it's all online. We have equal access, and so talking to somebody, perhaps talking to a child is different than talking to a, an adult. But can't we all be the same? Is there, is there things that we really have to put up barriers and say, well, we've got to treat this section differently? Do you want to be treated differently? Well, I don't think, I think part of the problem is no one wants to be labeled. And we're, so we label everybody and then that's their immediate defense is, I don't want to be labeled. And I, right. I think that's kind of a, uh, you know, the whole general generalizing something by the year someone's born, I think is, is slightly a misnomer. Because I can't, I don't think right. you can really generalize anybody by where they live anymore. And your point on social, I think social does give everyone the free, the equal opportunity to tell their story, share their value, learn the same amount of data. We all have the exact right. same opportunity. And I feel if you're not taking advantage of that, you're, you're your own worst enemy. Because yeah, you're, that's you're old, regardless of what your age is. And so, so now we and we have to include the slackers. Are you representing the slackers today? I hope the not. The X. I hope not. The in between. <laughs> Are you old enough to be a baby boy? Um, I am uh, just just under there. Just under there. So you're one of them slackers. <laughs> and you don't want to be labeled either because the Gen X got a bad rap. You know, it's interesting because um, uh, 
you take a look at all the labels, and um, I'm actually having a very difficult time with even the word millennial. Right. Um, any 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 word. I, I still go back to um, us all just being connected. Yeah. Um, are we generation connected? Um, you know, are we uh, a society that actually wants to be interpreted as somebody who is not connected or connected? When you look at people that are actually on or not on Facebook, because there are a lot of people that have chosen not to be on Facebook. Right. But they can span from teenagers all the way through to um, people That's in true. their 60s. So uh, just older than you. Right. And the people, the people that are older than me are, are doing it because they don't want to keep up with the technology, right. so there is a difference, but then it, it, anybody who doesn't get on Facebook is missing out. Um, yes and no. I mean, yeah. you know, um, my, my daughter's not on Facebook. She, she's on Snapchat and Instagram, and right. she thinks that's the whole social media. Right. Um, and for me to get her down from dinner, I actually have to Snapchat her right. um, and, and Snapchat her a picture at dinner, and then she will come down. So um, I, I think it's it's a it, you know everyone's different, everyone's human. They have different preferences, and right. to label it is 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 kind of not working because yeah. we all want the same things that we've interpreted millennials to want. The word millennial, which is like flexibility. Well, who doesn't want flexibility? I think that's it. that's it. I started studying it after we had that meeting in New York, and you know, found out the Forrester Research used millennial as a psychographic term. I further went back in. I was trying to find out about the, you know baby boomers dying off because you know I wasn't expecting that. To happen. Um, <laughs> and uh, and other than one rant I found that said all baby boomers will be dead by 2025, good riddance. That one, that one, you know, was a little bothersome, but I don't think that's mainstream at all. Uh, a lot of misinformation, a lot of people, you know, thinking that the millennial group is going to grow. They've all been born. Well, how can they grow if it's, if it's the general line? And actually, the demographics is kind of fall apart. Uh, and even when you look at the trends of more, more births and less, and stuff, the whole definition of baby boom, I think it's a... I think that was a change in attitude and a change in culture, not necessarily that it defined, you know, my age group. Um, and so, you know, I didn't feel like I was anybody special when we were changing everything in the 60s. I'm a little bit young, I, you know, never was a hippie, never demonstrated. I had a draft number, but I didn't go to Vietnam, it was never drafted. And, uh, um, and so, you know, I know about that experience, but so what, that's just experiential stuff, that's not, like I have a different attitude that happens born in a certain year. So I found what, 1957 is the highest year ever for US births, even though the, the country's at least 50% larger now, we still haven't topped that number. So there was a definite thing that was happening there. Uh, and then, uh, and definitely the Gen Y group didn't beat, beat the number of, uh, because it was smaller than the baby boomers, but that doesn't really matter. And then the, the interesting thing was the Gen X, but, at the, in the middle, it's a, like a little bit shorter because they never put these in exact exact 20-year cycles. So there's some are 17, some are 21, depending on who you, you talk to. And there were less uh, born, but it was like not 10% different. It's not like we dropped births in you half know, in the 70s. Yeah, but look, I mean, they're even saying now that, that millennial women and millennial uh, men want something different. Yeah. And they're starting to chop everything up into these little micro marketing uh, unique uh, 
different areas. And at the end of the day, again, I'm going back to this one thing, and it's the same thing I think Brian has that, that I'm hearing too, and, and, and even yourself, and that's that everyone wants the same things. We right. all want to be pleasantly surprised. We all want value. We all want to be felt like we all want to feel like there's personalization like they care who doesn't want someone to reach out to them and say i care with a chocolate bar that actually has my name on the front and on the back it personalized a message to me that actually talks about the things that i'm interested just like ibm did to me yesterday right like you would love that you love that i would love that there are a lot of consistencies (laughs) across the board that makes it really unique and special i challenge anyone to say when you talk about what a millennial wants, when someone puts that word, yeah. you know, I challenge you to ask what every other person doesn't want the exact same thing. I, I think that's, I think that's boy, the, that that's, nails it right there. That is I the entire that. point. Across every the time board. I read something about millennials, and then I started finding studies that said like uh, a 23-year-old's longevity on the job is shorter than it used to be, here and blah blah blah. Except for 30 years ago, it was the exact same number. Which, which is the, the IBM study that came out last week, the millennial myths, yeah. that was one of the ones, even the one being lazy, where millennials are the lazy generation, but yet right. millennials have... Oh, I know, you can't beat those slackers. Yeah, well, millennials have more, will have more people have taken it and completed college than any other generation, which yeah. is slightly a different world, but I mean, when you put those things in context, you're, you're, we're the lazy generation, but yet I think what you have to do is you have to relook on what you consider lazy. Yeah. Because I, I'm turned, and I part of my passion for millennials happened within the last year. I've been a millennial for my life, right? Yeah. But I always was proud, not only of my age group, but what we were able to do. And I was really disappointed and disheartened when I was able, I was invited to a millennial event. So many millennials hated the label because it gave them a bad reputation. Right. And that, I mean, it fueled, I mean, I the reason I talk about it, the reason I blog about it, Everything was because I was like, wait a second, why are you, why are you afraid of this? This isn't a bad thing, and it's because of this whole idea of I think mislabeled, rumored, and you know partially when it comes to it, too often today the people are too easily excused. If you don't understand it, you don't willing to learn. You're not willing to use the technology. It's easier to blame it and hate on it than right. it is to learn what that whole. Thing we just is. have some different things to culturally put down and say that aren't quite right. Like, uh, like Brian with the Y was saying, um, we all want the same things. And I put, I put it down to human experiences. We all want to be connected, and we all want to share stories. Right. So, you know, I meet you, we start sharing our past stories, and pretty soon we start making our own stories together. Right. And then we want to share that with other people and connect and do, do more. And if you don't want to connect, uh, it's a different, you know, it's a different psychosis going on here. Which is why I think Unabombers. Brian's book and the, the human to human element. Right. I think that resonates with millennials very like, at a high level because millennials are assumed we're the technology, right. we're digitally connected, but we're ultimately using social media not to be social, but for social media. But we're using it so that we can meet more people, more human to human interaction, and right. because of social. I'm not limited by borders, locations, yeah. backgrounds. I don't have to be a resume. I have so many friends that live in Australia and the UK that I've never met, never known if it wasn't for this technology. But I don't want to be connected with them on social media. I want to have a human-human connect relationship. And I think that's what I think we just use some different technology. Like earlier, I mentioned Facebook, and you corrected me that to do Snapchat. It doesn't really matter about the platform. It's, it's human to human. Once we connect, 
we don't, you know, whatever it is. But I'll have conversations with some people that'll move from, you know, SMS to Twitter to usually SMS or Twitter because they're both short. But, so here, here's one of the major on the phone, meeting in person. Here's one of the major differences I talk about in the book is is uh, how we all actually receive information that separates us. Right. So some of us are a little bit more auditory. Like, um, actually, like yourself, and some of us are a little bit more, uh, actually, I'm not sure you can even say that, but some of us are a little bit more visual, mm -hmm. and some of us are a little bit more around touch and feel, so you can start to divide people up into how they receive information right. easier than you can label them, and that's how they receive content. And then you start to divide. You start to build your marketing plan around sensory marketing rather than around labeling people and how they like to connect. That's way easier to do as a marketer than to say he's flexible, he's connected, he's not connected, and, and start labeling people in a certain way. And, and the reason we label people is because in the mass century, which I call you know the 20th century, I call the mass century. It's when if you had the bigger transmitter, we were able to do mass production. Doing anything capital, whatever you were able to get ahead, be big, and push out, and and now we're back to you know connecting individuals. We're we're connecting through thought leadership. We're we're right. at, we're at, we're the and Seth Godin said this. We're we're the age of of um, of, of thinking. Right. Now. This is this is shifted from the industrial age. Right. So um, you know everything that we're doing right now is in, is intelligently put for one human to share with another person right. and to learn from them and build things together and that they can. Co-create, exactly, co-create, and then build something upon each other. So the people that are being left out are the ones that are actually not participating in creating together. They're the ones that are still standing alone, creating something alone. Right. That's and, the and, you know, today when I read a book, I expect I'm going to be able to find the author and send him a message. Uh, sure. It used to be I'd read a book and I think like, you know, oh, you know, I can never reach that goal because he's the guy that wrote the book and sold millions of copies. I emailed him a month ago, he responded. Yeah. I have since too. I, didn't I did the know same that thing back with the, uh, back in the day when I became a Seth Godin fan. Yeah, uh, I talked to Tom Peters on Twitter regularly. Go. Yeah, one of, one of my great biggest, guy. Yeah, one of my biggest great. aha moments on social media was I had tweeted out to Vala Asfar after reading his book Social Business Excellence, saying, "Hey, I had to take a, I had to take a picture of your book, took it into my CEO, and I just got a higher budget because of what your book." I tweeted that out to him. In seconds, he tweeted back and went back and forth. That was two and a half years ago. He's now a mentor that I I talk to on a regular basis. Gives me career and life advice, and that happened via social. And like for me, that wraps it up. And the reason I say change change evangelist is new for me because I was a technology evangelist. It was my full time job for a while at my last company. But I never talk. I I mentor and I focus on how you embrace change and the elements of how, you have to be a really good storyteller. Is always what I focus on when I'm mentoring, especially a millennial. It's be great at storytelling and understanding people because right. the technology will always change and technology will always be something you have to learn. But when you when you really work hard on those two, those are like the most powerful elements, in my opinion, when it comes to a really good human, know what humans, other humans want. I love Brian's you know, idea of what how you consume. I mean, one of the things I coach on social media is. Not only do you have to listen and understand how people interact, but you, wanna, you have to know where their preferred method is of consuming. Brian Snapchats his daughter to come down. He can send her a SMS or tweet at her with her primary right. communication channel is Snapchat. Also, it would be possible to say, if you don't come when I call for dinner, you don't eat. So think about it it's this up way to you. too. You can have it any way well, you want. That, that, uh, yeah. that is a good point. But yeah. think about it this way too. 
we used to market, um, put a marketing plan together, and then we would match the mediums to that. Right. I believe that's actually shifting. I believe that we actually need to build our marketing campaigns around the platforms that we want to use. Right. Because the platforms are specific in what they can do and what we want to achieve. So we have to be scalable enough to, or uh, flexible enough to use what those platforms are going right. to do. So Snapchat, I can build a campaign around getting my daughter to dinner. Right. And I know that she's on that. I can't build it around Facebook. She's and, not on that. And, and really, it's you know, I'm, and the reason I brought up the idea about saying you're going to, you know, she's in trouble if she doesn't respond outside of Snapchat, yeah. is that your choice. And a lot of people hear you tell that kind of a story, and they probably think of like, well, like kids today. Yeah. You know, and and actually though, that's bringing you closer in another way. A very typical thing to say, hey, we're all here looking at our phone. Right. We're sitting next to each other. It's we could be closer. So, you don't know what's going on in somebody else's. Think about Warren. Think about the future of email. I don't believe that millennials, as we've defined them, are using email. I think that they use social media, DMing on different social platforms to connect with each other. Right. I just don't think email, I wonder about the future of email. And I think that it's great, especially here at a conference where they've released IBM Verse, where it's actually putting more of a social uh, contextual spin on how to connect with each other and, and giving a, an integration platform for all the social networks out there so that millennials can potentially connect the way that they want to. Where old style email is a one way or two way communication, me sending something to you, you sending it to me. That's not going to exist in the next five years or ten years. Which is the, which is the reason I became a huge fan of IBM Verse is they switched the focus from the focus of a message to a conversation. Right. And it's a conversation between people, not a message, a static right. message that goes back and forth. And that's right. I mean, that's why group message, DMs, all the, I mean, it's really funny because now this idea of a DM, we're almost going full circle because AOL chat was what I used as a freshman in college in 1999. It was like my favorite platform. You know, the Napster generation is what I was doing. But now it's, we're going almost back to this DM where we want to collaborate via chat in real time, right. instant message. You know, I even remember, even as a millennial, I remember thinking, I would never text message. Why would I, why would I have to hit the nine button, you know, three times to get my numbers? Like, I, I completely thought that was going to be crazy. Now on my iPhone 6 Plus, you can't find my call button because it's hidden. Because I don't use the phone aspect of my right. smartphone. Oh, I I'm, use every other aspect. I'm screwed. If I ever find myself, God willing, in jail, I don't know a phone number to save my life. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> That's a great point. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> Gosh, I suppose I suppose you have some one number. <laughs> I need an emergency there. number assigned just to me. Yeah, just one. I don't know what's going to happen. We have enough, we have enough trouble remembering our passwords. Yeah. The three thousand accounts we have, know, right? phone numbers have been checked out on my uh, my repository. Well, I can at you. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> can can I do that from jail? Can I get my one call? Can I just make it one tweet, please? Because <laughs> I got one hundred forty characters that right. I can use that I can get a, a lot more people. Actually, actually, it's going to be that all you need to do is, is find a, a place to yell. And then you'll know, right. know what to do. Yeah. Um, well, if you're in jail, it's called OI. OI, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, yeah, you could program, program your phone that when, when you are near a jail, it lets certain people know. And yeah. It could all be automated. That's right. beacon technology. Is that a good person has a message to me in jail? Yeah. <laughs> Technology yeah, coming together to help me out. That'd be great. I think every every person getting arrested wants the whole world to know the right. same form. Yeah. 
Uh, but yeah, it makes a, a difference. I know I've, I've dealt with the relative being in jail and having to, uh, uh, you know, go online and find out things like that. And there were conflicting ideas of this one, where you call, where you wait in line. And a, lot, a whole lot of people go down to the jail and wait for some hours to try to figure out what's going on. There's a lot of human experience that gets better if you figure out a way to trigger these things. It doesn't get rid of the HH. Always have to have that. You do always have to have that. It's a mindset as well as, as anything else. And um, I mean, you're. you're you, so, H to H, I think, I think what you're asking is it's always been here, it's always going to be here. Right. Um, there's interesting discussions around robotic um, uh, engagement and, and whether you can tell whether it was a robot or not, and whether it can inflect and have sentiment around things that makes you second guess whether it was a human response or not. And I believe that, um, and, and Jeff Schick said, that said this last night at our, uh, at our party, and I, and I agree with him that maybe one day that will happen, that we will not be able to tell the difference between the two. And if you can't tell the difference, does it make any difference? Um, it, uh, well, so it, it doesn't because it, it will because it's scary to think about, but right. it, it isn't because it's because everything has a way of actually transforming into a better place to make it easier for us. And the other thing is that nothing ever happens like that. We all think that things right. happen so quickly, but that's not the case. It happens over time, and we start to get used to things that happen over five years. There's no overnight robotic response. Right. It's something that's going to take place over time. We're going to get used to it a little bit at a time, and eventually we're going to come to trust it. We're going to come to love it. And we're it's going not to need it. It's actually going up. We want the. We're, we're going to want it, but at the same time, we're also going to crave more in-person attention. Right. The human-to-human -human aspect is something we will always search out. So it's just going to give us more time right. to go have that's, that's the complete argument. For me, automation, technology, social, It's I'm leveraging that so I have more time to be in. I am automating my back part of what I do, social, everything in my life. I want to do that so I have more time to do what I love, make my life happier, engage with the people that I love. And I think that's that whole conversation where that's why I think focusing on storytelling and, and understanding how to relate with people is way more powerful and more important than learning one technology because that technology is a means to an end, and in my opinion, right. it's a we, means we to an end. We get to the point where the, where the computer can create a story and make it look like, you know, it wrote the news. I've seen that, you know, it does a pretty good job. You get the facts, but it's not going to change the experience. Okay. And most of my experience in news today is talking to friends about it on Facebook. Have you seen the, uh, the hotel in Japan? It's all robots. Mm -hmm. um, and now, I wonder if it's too soon. Yeah. Um, I don't know how I would do it in a hotel. That's all robots. You walk up, you check in with a robot, you need something in your room, they bring it to you. There, If you need food, it's a served by, by robots. The whole place is a, is a robotic experience. Right. And now you want to take something to the nth degree, I mean, there you go. That, that is, yeah, that, I mean, we're just talking about Twitter, but yeah. and even, let's take it to a Even that, level. you would assume that, so like, I think the millennial concept there is really interesting because me, I mean, I, I've been on record to say, give me a chip and plenty in my head, I'm ready to do it. And I am on the bleeding edge of that side of the technology and data as, as a millennial. But I also but don't think you're a normal of, millennial. That's my point. Am I plenty of millennials that's what you just said they're scared them to death that right. well. so by just that as an example it's a perfect example of you can't assume a millennial wants to live in a digital yeah. hotel me 
I'm not able to it tell you. But I can tell you, I mean, not we'll only, not only just me, yes. yeah, which is, I fully admit that not only am I well, odd, the other thing that came up in the discussion odd. last night was the, the, the creepy factor and things like that. We're having that, this, we're having that kind of discussion, and I'm thinking like, uh, you know, I don't need to worry about whether or not the, the hotel's going to figure out what kind of underwear I want. What, what, I, what really needs to happen is I, there's a million things that don't get taken out. I know uh, where we're staying, there's a, there's a button you can push for housekeeping or do not disturb, and it's centralized. And I've been saying, boy, we need that for as long as I can remember. And um, there's so many places like that. It just works a little bit better. Uh, my favorite example is the dry cleaner. If I'm, you know, going making a keynote speech, I need my favorite suit because I would be lucky on stage. And the dry cleaner closes at five. If he knows me, he's going to stay open late. He's going to call me, call my wife, call my assistant. You know, maybe send a courier out with it, whatever. Because that one time is that important. If my dry cleaner ever tells me that my dry cleaner is ready any other time, I consider it an annoyance. And I want to get rid of it. But in that one time, I need to know what it is, and that. that into the See while you're therapy. while you're waiting for your dry cleaner, I've just 3D printed a jacket <laughs> from a designer in Italy, and I'm going out and I'm having it. And you're having an oh, Amazon drone that, delivered. That <laughs> that's, that's, it's that's, still that's, your lucky jacket. <laughs> which, yeah, yeah. which I mean, I think the data conversation we had last night, listening to Caesars and IBM, right. two polar opposite worlds in the industry. Both leveraging data, social to engage. I thought that conversation. Oh, we had nobody does data like the casinos. Casinos, which, yeah. which I think is a. You know, they I, just I, make it look like they're like it's you're having a lot of fun. They and I might challenge that even say that nobody does data like the casinos unless you're IBM. I mean, like I think maybe <laughs> IBM is the only one that can. Could it's one of those. That, it's one of those arena. continuums that when you get done, that it wraps around and, and the, the endpoints are very close. Which and he, you know, I think some part of your conversation there was. Or what are we focusing on? Are you improving the, my experience right. and, and making me have a better experience? Or are you making yourself be able to market to me better, right? And I think I call it data transparency because yeah. I think we're living in that world where there's so much data and you can leverage it in so many different ways. But if you're transparent on how it's leveraging and what your ultimate yeah, goal is, I think you're going to get a lot more. The yeah, you're the 80% is going to embrace that. Where it's the other way where, I mean, we know that all, a lot of these things like Uber. I mean, Uber, we're big fans, we love the tool, but when all of a sudden they never exposed how they were leveraging that data to better predict where cars are being placed, people freaked out. But if they had presented it and said, hey, while you're using this app, we're gonna leverage this to better put cars in your area, because we know that every Friday night for the last two months, you always go to your favorite bar. We're gonna put a car near you because we know that. If they would have told, told the user that upfront, I don't think the uproar or the backlash would have been near what it was because they just weren't transparent with what I they think, were I think it's a things. matter of understanding understanding what's going on. The, the leaders in some of this stuff is the supermarkets and what they can do to predict what you're going to buy. And, you know, we all have cards and reward programs and they keep all this data of what we're buying. And they do that at the checkout on the way out. And so the shopping cart people put the, you know, the video display screen on the shopping cart. When they switch from in the test market, that's why we don't have more widespread. When they switched and started saying, hey, here's what's on sale today based on what you bought before, people were creeped out. But knowing that data, there's a lot of things you can do that don't creep out. Which is fun. Fish go bad, and you know fish should go bad at 3 p.m., and so you put them on sale at 2. 
If you have that data on the screen that tells me how many fish holders are in the store, I can make a decision whether to go 50 cents off or a dollar off. Which in, in the, 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 the social market, the market is interesting. So my dad like, was a candy salesman, owned a candy company, right. and they always use data to give you the end cap, right? right? Or the data to where the, the the product that sold the most got the most space on the on the shelf. Right. So that data in that industry has always been used, but it's not an industry you would think of as tech savvy. But think about now. They want to use that data to even make your experience better, not just present the things in a right. better way. And so I think, unfortunately, some people look at that and go, oh my God, they're using all my data to present all this information well, for me that I didn't really volunteer. But they've already been doing that to you for all these times. They've been doing it for a long time, and it's a matter of how it used. If the store, if the store comes in, and, you know, and it knows it's got any grocery store has got a hundred best customers that come every week, spend a lot of money, big families, whatever. If the store uses that data, collects it, and lets you know when you enter the store, they say, okay, you know, Kramer's in the store. We know, you know, he's got to be stocked up in the liquor department, and he's going to spend a lot. And so that's okay, but they're not going to like display something. Heavy drinker just into the store. Um, but, so, uh, but that's probably that's probably a, a easy worry for a lot of people. Right. That says, it and even from the standpoint of a husband doesn't want their when they both go shopping, the husband doesn't want the wife to know that right. he, he share, buys cigarettes here when he like. Right. And that, he's not so, supposed to be so is my data gonna be or, leveraged? Or my favorite idea is, is we have a sale on hammering cream, and we know you like that. You know, maybe there's some things that they shouldn't use like this. But now, if the store manager comes up to me and says. Uh, I, I good to see you in the store again, Mr. Lock. We, we like you here. Um, we know, in, in my case, it's the candy department and big things, but um, <laughs> we know you're going to spend a lot of money. We love you. Uh, but they don't need to mention what they know about you. All they need to say is, hello, thank you. Thank you for being on the show. <laughs> which is, which is all what it takes. Which is that human perspective, that human um, right? And so before we go, where can we find you? I social fans everywhere, so isocialfans.com and isocialfans okay. on Twitter. And, and uh, we need H2A, uh, so where do we go to get that? You can go to uh, at Brian Kramer or BrianKramer.com. Okay, and find out about this excellent book. It is all there. It's all there, all great. There. And you. you can find out about me, same way, my name, Warren Whitlock. Hi, Warren Whitlock here with uh, another interview at the uh, IBM Interconnect. Uh, boy, are we learning a lot. Uh, and we can do no better than uh, Amber Armstrong. She's the IBM Director of Social Business Market Evangelism. Yes. That, that all fits on one business card. <laughs> what does, a, what does a, a Director of Social Business Market Evangelism do? Sure. I'm responsible for understanding or helping our communities to understand what it means to be a social business. So, you know, how do you interact with your customers, right. all that sort of So social business doesn't mean that you have a Facebook page. No. <laughs> what does it mean to be a social business? Well, there's, I mean, it really means that you're connecting with your customers. Right. And the places where they want to connect with you. Right. And the way my team does it is we look at it across paid, owned, and earned. Okay. So looking at various ways to engage with clients. So, so for our, our less educated people, we're talking paid in ads. 
Yeah. yeah. Owned as you're creating content. Yep, your your brand earned content. is somebody else talking about you and you don't pay for it. Absolutely. Okay, good. That's yeah. in other words, you're communicating with people. Yeah. And that's still a little bit mass centric of how we used to use old media and how many people can we reach and those kind of things. Uh, how do you balance that? Because obviously, IBM, you've got to reach the whole world. Yeah. And at the same time, you're getting down to doing stuff on an individual basis. How yeah. Do, how do you find the balance? I mean, it's, it's tricky. I mean, one thing you certainly have to do is figure out hey, what's your story and how do you want to tell that and position that and do it through really, I mean, attention spans are tiny. So you've got to make sure that you're doing it in these really simple, what we call kind of snackable content bites. Right. And then figuring out how do you get other people to tell that story. And as you know, that's that's an area I'm really excited about because it's we do a, a variety of ways. We have different kinds of influencers. We have customer influencers, um, right. external influencers like yourself. We also work with our employee advocates. And so getting that distributed through those channels and having them weigh in and participate in the conversation so that it becomes a broader story. And that's it's not always our branded story, but it's right. really important different lens that people add into it. Well, I, I uh, teach quite often about a, um, about bacon and eggs. Do you know where bacon and eggs came from? No. Well, good, because I haven't repeat, repeat, repeated it on a show in a while. And by the way, bestsellerauthors.com forward slash bacon, you can read the story. Um, and uh, it actually was a, was a uh, marketing campaign. Uh, in fact, it was Edward Bernays who invented public relations. And um, the, the pork producers wanted to sell more bacon. And he found out people were having breakfast. It was good to tell people to eat breakfast. He came up with the phrase, doctors recommend Americans eat a hearty breakfast like bacon and eggs. We could discuss whether or not that's held up to what doctors say since Edward Bernays. This was 1929. But the important thing about it is that we say bacon and eggs, we don't say eggs and bacon. Mm -hmm. I've talked to people from Europe and the rest of the world and they're liable to say eggs and bacon instead of bacon and eggs. Uh, or just a variety. Or they picked it up from a, what is an American phrase. So uh, whenever you whenever you see bacon and eggs on a menu, hopefully you'll remember this. And, and of course I use it as one of my things, as a meme. But once you think of bacon and eggs, you think, oh yeah, that's... That, that guy with the radio show told me that story, and I and I get remembered because of it. So um, and I see that happen a lot. Um, you know, it's a, it's done by corporate marketing and advertising and suggesting that we have these keywords and use these things over and over again. Uh, but after a while, I hear hashtag new way to work, hashtag new way to work, and I'm going, what does that really mean? And so it's it's hard to get one that catches on and you memo from them. Is there, a, is there a slogan for IBM that's been used for decades that I don't know about? Probably not. You probably know all, all the big ones, right? You know, the e-commerce the e right. back in those days, right? Right. Um, but so, for New Way to Work, though, you know, it's really about how you're changing, how we are, are participating in the change of how people are working and right. bringing together social, mobile, big data, all of these different right. pieces, cloud, for sure bringing all these things in together and having it be different, right? It's got to all shift. But by the way, I, I I did work with a guy doing a book, a Clotera Pie wrote a book. He was a child psychologist, and he went down to saying, "What are the base things you do?" For instance, coffee. Uh, most American 
remember coffee as something they could smell in the morning and know that everything was safe if mom was up and the coffee was on. Uh, and uh, so he came up with the Folgers Whoosh, uh, which that commercial shows no one drinking coffee. Turns out only about half of the people that like the flavor of coffee like the taste of it. Um, that's why we put things in coffee. Uh, and I'm in that tiny percentage that like neither. But, uh, but uh, uh, that he was able to tap into where that was. Well, that guy has hundreds of thousands of dollars a day to do his research now. And social allows us to be testing things. For instance, I know the bacon and egg story works because I've met people years later, yeah, you told me the bacon and egg story. I think of that every time I order bacon and egg. And, and so I, 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 that one was came pre-tested. And now what I found is that if I tweet, I can tweet a hundred different ways and then something catches on. And all of a sudden I'm doing stuff that's quoted and that's really cool. I'm, the one that I didn't expect at all is I told somebody that I like the idea that I could get you to think of something and implement it and get success from it and feel good about it and just know that I was some part of it, not that I gave you the idea, that was what I wanted to do, like the movie Inception, but without all the craziness of the story, uh, that there is a point when you start thinking about something, and that would be, if I could get somebody to think about, like, they're thinking about eating breakfast because they heard about bacon and eggs. By the way, he went on to use all of the, all of the kind of things that we now use in social media, like getting articles placed, the earned media, the things like that, he had a news bureau. He did a lot of things to do that uh, and hated being called an ad because he didn't want to ever like force anything on somebody. And here it is a hundred years later, we're now using the same kind of Well, you know, and it's, it's, I like that you brought up how social media plays a role in that because, you know, we announced, I don't know, a few months ago a partnership with Twitter, so I made it Twitter. And a whole, I mean, there's the power that's huge, right? Because we can take all of the social data on Twitter, and it's this huge, huge set of information, and we can actually start to extrapolate insights from it. So you start to understand what is your customer sentiment? How do you how do you impact your products? What's your supply chain like? Where are people having problems? And then you start connecting your customers in that same way. You start participating in those conversations. That's like that's what it means to be a social business, right? Like you bring all of those things together. And then what I'm really excited about is eventually you'll see us start to bring Twitter things into our actual products. Right. That's going to be, that's when it all comes together. Yeah, and it, and it gets to be, there's a, an app that came out last year that we, we joked around with quite a bit, Yo, mm -hmm. you know, and, mm -hmm. and what does it do? It makes the other person's phone say, yo, but that's a trigger, it's one bit, it, it passes the information you need. Now, if you know why I, I yo you, then, then it's good, but as Facebook Poke has taught us, just universally doing that to people Great. is annoying. Very. <laughs> <laughs> It's annoying and, and you get the reputation of being Brian Kramer when you do that. 14 yo's in a row. Um, but uh, and we played with it for a week and I started looking at what the implications of this was when we know things about, uh, you know, if I'm home that things change because my, my device tells the, tells the computer in the house and we do things like that. And the wealth of data that's now coming out of Twitter and people are talking about whatever they want to talk about. 
And so listening is even more important than being able to get the message out. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And being able to, I mean, but also being able to participate in it and ask more questions and really start to engage with those clients, that's when it really gets to right. be, you're starting to build loyalty and a real relationship with mm-hmm. your customers rather than it just being a brand that's very separate. Right. There's still the media part, and people are trying to. Of course, I, I say if you really want the media, go buy it. You know, because it's relatively cheap to buy a Twitter app right now. But um, but when I see people like retweeting everything, or, you know, or liking everything on the Facebook page, and they're doing it as a way to build the brand and get everybody else to do that, well, it shows some numbers. But ultimately, what I'm looking at is is somebody going to answer? If somebody says me too, like that. Uh, that's kind of like like. What I want to know is that somebody has got an idea and, you know, when they write four paragraphs and a comment, then I know that somebody's passionate about what they're doing. And it may not even be what I intended to, to discuss, but that's the person that's passionate in the Bible. And now with Watson, can you go in and find out which people are really passionate about what they're yeah. talking about? Yeah, you know, down on our uh, exhibit hall floor, there's Watson Cinnamon Analysis, and right. it's really cool. You put in handle and it does a Myers-Briggs, like it spans out and does a personality evaluation. We'll go down there later today. It's really pretty cool. (laughs) It tells how extroverted you are, how introverted. I mean, it's really pretty neat. And we're we're using Watson in a lot of different ways, right? So we we just launched IBM Burst. We did that. We launched it in November and we're now onboarding people and we're getting all this kind of great excitement and traction around it. And then the next kind of piece of that is going to be bringing in Watson and making Watson a personal assistant. And so you start thinking about how you pull in the data pieces into making your life better and personalizing. Right. Right? It's all about like... You don't expect. Well, I I interviewed the the product manager uh, this morning and and we got talking about it. It's going to be so cool when there's a button and I can push and my device suddenly doesn't have anything for work. He says, well, yeah, there's security. You fire somebody, you remove all of the work stuff, and and the cat photos are still there. And I thought, well, it's pretty cool. I can control that. And the other thing we talked about was adoption. That in the in the poll that we do now instead of push, we don't have to send out a memo and say, you know, on Monday we're cutting off notes and you must use Watson. I mean, must use Burst. Uh, we'll be able to say Burst is so good that people are, are using it. What do you mean you haven't heard about it? Well, let me tell you about it. You can still evangelize, but you don't you don't have to say I'm going to cut off your access to the old product because they're all going to want to jump on a better thing. Yeah. Absolutely, I think naturally people will migrate there. Yeah, and I think everybody, I think that's that just applies to everything in life. Uh, you know, there's a, uh, um, the story of uh, seduction. If you want somebody to, you know, if you go to the dance and you talk with your friends in the corner, you're not going to get asked to dance. On the same time, at the same time, if you start chasing somebody, they're not going to ask you to dance. Yeah, you know? somewhere in between. <laughs> or date right? or whatever. Yeah. Well, you can't. You can't be chased by somebody that you're chasing. It, it's just impossible. You know, maybe you could go around in circles. We won't think about it. That's not healthy. Um, yeah, I know some relationships like that. You don't want to do that. But you, there has to be a chaser and a chasee. And so becoming a better chasee is what, what pole marketing is all about. And so I don't worry about the world getting to where there isn't anybody pushing. 
also about showing value yeah. to your to your customers, right? Yeah. So it's not so much about, hey, come buy this, buy this, buy this. It's giving them some piece of information that's really valuable to them. That then they say, hey, you did that for me. You built this kind of loyalty through that information. Right. And then when they think of buying so, something, they think of you. Yeah, going back to this thing that I get caught on, and I still haven't memorized what it is, but it's the idea that what I'd really like to do is making something so awesome that everybody's going to like, why haven't you told me about this before? I want to, I want this right now. Get this right away. A heck of a lot easier to sell things if instead of going door to door and saying, want verse? No, it's <laughs> you know, people, true. Like, people it standing really in line. When can I sign up? Yeah. Yeah. It's, and that's, that's exactly what we're trying to do. Yeah, but it also, like going back to the what we were talking about, like marketing overall, you know, we work with our influencers to do that as well. We right. take content from our influencers and we share it out with our audiences because that's providing value to right. them. Also providing value for, to the influencers. I mean, this has become like a way of life. Like I, I meet somebody like you, and I, I want to find out what what really turns you on. What do you like in life? You know, you know. Uh, I've seen that there's a dog on your phone. Yeah. So you know, I I know I can't. I, you know, I know better than to say I hate dogs, or, <laughs> or and or you know, cats are better than dogs or something like that. But I'll tell you a dog story. You know, and we can share and we connect on whatever level we can. Does that mean I'm going to like? serendipity come around and try to sell something I, you don't have to worry about that if you're doing it right yeah. if you always try to figure out how to take care of the other person and I work with a lot of people that are authors bloggers speakers that kind of thing and they're always trying to say I've got this message it's so important what's so important well I was I was a battered wife and I got out of that situation and now I help other people by coaching oh it sounds wonderful but I don't want to hear your horrible story <laughs> now if I'm trying to get to know that same person I'm going to say Oh, tell me all about that. I want to hear it because I want to get to know you. And so it's just kind of like I, my default is don't worry about me, go worry about the other person. And I've yet to find out. I used to say it had to be three to one. I went to eight to one, 12 to one. And now I just said, forget about it. If there's any time that I'm trying to get my message out, still I'm going to craft a message. I'm going to make my bacon and eggs message. I'm going to say it over and over again. But. Uh, because I get excited and passionate about things, and you gotta try first, people. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, but but it actually it has to come naturally. So I, I know as an influencer, my new line is: uh, you can buy my time, you can't buy my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think and it, that's really important, right? Because it's got to be authentic. Right. Because otherwise, it completely we'd be wasting our time. Right. Right. It wouldn't be a good investment of your time. Our customers wouldn't believe it, and. We end up breaking trust rather than building it. Right. It's completely the wrong direction. Yeah. And, uh, the other line we use all the time, people buy from those that they know, like, and trust. So you have to get to know people. And the, the thing about like, it's covered by Robert Cialdini and his great work on, on influencing. And uh, when I interviewed him, he said, you know, make sure you get this right. Like is not about getting the person to like you. Like is about liking the other person. And he tells a story of the salesman going in and seeing a fish on the wall. And he's like, well, yeah, I go fishing all the time. And you find out it's not, you know, it's not his fish came with the office. Right. Uh, but when you get that person to open up and tell about what they're passionate about, whether it's fishing or golf or dog or kids, uh, or getting a better deal on your product, whatever it is you want to talk about. 
that you are actually liking the person, it's really hard to fake that. I think, you know, Ted Rubin's one of the best at that, right? The whole return on relationship. He yeah. really spells it out really clearly. And you know, that's something that I'm trying to do in all of our marketing efforts, right? Yeah. Really building in those relationships with our customers and influencers. And also within the team, right? Having the team really interacting well together because they do so much. All right, so now I got to hit you with the hard question. What do you do when the boss says, "Yeah, R O R O R, yeah, I see what you're trying to do, and this is all good, and you can join hands and sing kumbaya." But at the end of the day, did you impact sales? Yep. How do you answer that? I tell them I have over 60,000 registrations for IBM first. <laughs> and I tell them it was the most successful you got the number. at IBM. Right. And yeah, yeah. It, it ends up, you have to. And hopefully they don't read that as, well, we made a product so good it would have got 90,000 <laughs> if we'd have pushed. <laughs> well, if they do, then they're, they're, they're still. They old. do, they're stuck in the middle. <laughs> I think it, it, it only makes sense. I think that's the whole course of human history that, that taking care of other people is what, I mean, it's what we all enjoy doing. It's a natural. Why shouldn't we be doing it this way? And today we have the tool. Packaging up the, the, the influencer content. So we have this new website that we just launched a couple days ago, ibm.com slash futurists. And we put all of our influencer content on that page. Okay. At the top of that page, there is an ebook. And that ebook is a registrable asset. Right. So I believe there's so much value in that ebook that the only way I'm going to give it to you is if you're willing to share some information with me. Right. Now, underneath that, there's loads of content that you can look at for free and enjoy. Right, but you, I need for you to pay me the value of your contact information if you want the actual ebook. Right. And so then that then leads into nurture streams, and you start to continue the conversation from a sales perspective. Later. Yeah, it's not like ten minutes later an IBM salesperson is going to call. No, no, it's building. You get to build it up like so. We contact them with different mechanisms, right? right. Your comment earlier on how do you, you know, what's kind of changed and how is more modern now, right? It's you touch people time and time and time again on digital and then let them come to you. Well, today when I get a somewhat personalized, you know, we're contacts on LinkedIn and I can tell by your profile you're the kind of person that I'd like to get to know better and you could really help with my marketing. And then, you know, and then they go on to sell me a, a rudimentary, you know, how, how to use LinkedIn product. And then, uh, did you look at my profile at all? You couldn't have possibly got me right. Uh, and some of that works because it's more personalized than the old, this is the, something every company, dear reader, you need this. Uh, but if we're doing it right, at some point we never have to do that. Here's something you got to know about. Unless it's like, I'm so excited about this because it's changed my life and it's changed yours. And, and, if, and, and the old salesmanship and cold calling and knocking on doors and, you know, the, the always be closing and all that kind of stuff just gets you out the window when you have relationships. And I feel so strongly about that that I actually, multiple times when someone sends me some really crappy message on LinkedIn, yeah. I will actually respond back to them yeah. and explain to them why it's so terrible. Right. Because I think that it does a disservice to what I'm trying to do right. with building relationships and doing things appropriately. Right. That when I in building relationships, people are like, oh, it's some, some spammy thing. Right. It makes me so angry that I will I will take the time and Well you know it's know. it's a common thing because I I don't have any hold on who I'll talk to on Twitter. Because you know, mm -hmm. everybody's worth ten seconds of my time to write a response. 
and saying thank you to them really works. They they like that. They like to know that you acknowledge it. You read their tweet. And so when I've seen people, because I've been on forever, wrote the first book about Twitter, and then, you know, I couldn't, I didn't want to shut off any of the DMs or the spammy type things that were happening. What I found over time is they've done a better job of eliminating the true spam. It's just a robot pumping stuff out. I delete that or record it as spam. When I see what I think is a real human being, they've got a cause, and they say, please retweet in a URL. And I'm not going to retweet, but I'm going to talk to them. And by the way, that helps them. Their scores go up and whatnot. They're talking to somebody with a lot of followers and and explain it to them, and that's it. I've got to bring those people up. And I'm when I switched them to that's annoying. I got to get rid of it. And what can I do to help that person? It became a heck of a problem. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so not only is this working better, but it's more fun, and we need the tools to do it. So go to IBM dot com slash verser where else should somebody go with yeah. if we really want to hear more wisdom from amber where do we go yeah, certainly connect with me on linkedin for sure on linkedin okay yeah, i'm happy to connect with people on linkedin they don't and, have similar interests you, you're not in uh, horror films the, no. the other amber on oh yeah no, not that one not, not that, that one, one. Okay. i'm not in paranormal i think it is or you know yeah okay I, i've not ever started <laughs> in paranormal make sure you you look for amber <laughs> I, Amber Andra at IBM, not the other ones. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay. But it would also encourage if people are interested in looking at the work we've done with influencers, IBM.com slash futurist. It's a great new site. Right. It's real clean. We're super excited about that. And then from a product perspective, certainly looking at IBM.com slash verse, um, we could not be happier about how that's going to change great. going yeah. forward. I'm looking forward to using it. Yeah. So. I'll talk to you on verse. Awesome. Thank you. Warren Whitlock here uh, with another of my uh, interviews from uh, IBM Interconnect this week. We are all things IBM. And uh, one of the big strategies that I've seen is looking at keywords about big data and some uh, new ways to work on uh, uh, IBM Verse we talked about. One of the things we haven't covered yet is mobile and how important that is to anybody's strategy. I think anybody alive now knows that mobile is growing. And so I have, uh, uh, I have Elisa Macklin here. She's the Vice President of Marketing for the IBM Mobile Enterprise. And uh, you've been with IBM for a while, but now you're in mobile. Exactly, yes. I've been, uh, been with IBM for over 25 years. Wow. And I've been in a variety of different roles. And most recently in the Smarter Commerce area, which was an area where I could see how rapidly mobile was changing and right. really impacting the way that Right. So one of the reasons I'm so excited about this opportunity here to work with clients on their strategies and their implementations is that we really see the adoption of mobile technologies truly is changing the way that people work mm -hmm. and the way that people interact with brands. And that is a really important opportunity. Well, you said the, the, the e-commerce background and yeah for sure I've seen it in the accounts I work with where you know, they they didn't know that people were buying things from the phone hardly and then suddenly you know it's a large number and the funny thing is, is we talk to people that are uh, wondering whether or not they need more mobile they're still going to answer the email on their iPhone <laughs> so, obviously we're all going more mobile 
is there a, are we, we going to reach a saturation point where, where, where we're going to go all mobile? Or is there some saturation point where we'll be just part of it? Well, you know, it, it's interesting. Um, it was, was uh, talking with a colleague of mine and pointed out that it's, it's, it's not a device that's mobile. It's the, it's the human being who's yeah. mobile. And so as we experience more and more ability to be able to do the things that we need, either in the workplace or as consumers, because we're leveraging mobile devices, it's going to continue to grow and, and proliferate. And so today, one of the things that is helping businesses transform is to be able to put more decision-making ability in the hands of their employees. Right. Moving the knowledge closer to the individual who act, actually act on it. Right. And so we're seeing some great examples here at Interconnect. Comdata is a great example where their application for truck drivers not only gives them that important information that a lot of us take advantage of as consumers figuring out the fastest way to get from point A to point B, what Comdata does is also provide geospatial information on things like bridge heights. So you got to take into account if you're a truck driver whether you're right. going to be able to. The best route on a motorcycle is not the same as the one for a truck driver. Yeah. Exactly. And the drivers can program personal preferences, so it'll also let them know what's the best place to stop and eat based on the types of food that they like to eat, lowest prices for gas based right. on the negotiated rates, etc. So that helps the drivers to make the best decisions for them, makes the driver happy, uh, right. but it also makes uh, the company happy because they're making more efficient uh, decisions. Well, it's a recurring theme that I keep hearing that more and more we're doing things that will make people happy, people want, and instead of having to put out, uh, we're talking about, you know, birth uh, coming out, we, we don't need to send out a memo saying, you know, as of the 10th, your access to notes will be shut off. We know that when they have the choice of verse or notes, and I don't know anything about the actual rollout, but I'm guessing they'll, they'll have a choice and, the, and they'll start using verse because it's just so much better. Just we give somebody an easier, better way to do something, they want to use it. They don't have exactly. to push. And another great example that we'll see this afternoon here at Interconnect is one of our clients, uh, Shiseido, which is the largest uh, cosmetic and skincare company in Japan, has a great uh, mobile application to help their beauty consultants help customers buy the best cosmetics. Now, you probably haven't experienced this, however, when you're shopping for lipstick, uh -huh. it's really a hassle to try on. You want to get the best color, but right. you know, to pick up the different colors and wipe them off, try all these right. different shades is, you know, pain. Uh, and so what Shiseido has done is they have an application where their beauty consultant with an iPad uh, capture a picture of the customer and together they can try different lipstick colors on, right. on the uh, the customer without ever having to you know open a, uh, a lipstick to it. Likewise with uh, eyeshadow. So you can try a lot of colors and when the customer finds yeah that looks good then they go and try on the actual makeup. Right. So it is a great convenience to the customer. Shiseido is also uh, able to capture a lot of important information right. about customer Because you want to go back to the people that know what you want. 
where we put it in. And I've, I've seen that. I've been an Amazon customer since it started. Uh, and, you know, I, I went through a period of time where I was buying a lot of books because of marketing and promotion and things I was working on for other people. And the family used the account. And it's been better or worse at times. Now I'm back to everything I'm doing. And I've got 20 years of buying books from Amazon. And I'll go in and change the recommendation stuff because I want to make sure that tomorrow it's going to surprise me with a book I didn't know about. And nobody else can do that because it's Amazon's tab. Well, and it's understanding personal preference is really important. And that's one of the things that we really stress is that uh, we call our initiative mobile first because you need to think about the user who's the person that's going to be having that right. experience. So you want to start with you want to start with the user and start your right. design. And you've already told us that I hear mobile first, I think you're thinking about the device first. It's really the mobile person. It's are mobile, not it's, device. It's it's the individual. And that's what our uh, big part of what our alliance with Apple is about is that the approach that Apple takes is truly understanding exactly what the user needs and making it very easy, which helps the employee be I, I just saw a startup uh, since we've been talking about maps an example where the guy was riding a bicycle to work every day and the route always gave him the route that was the fastest and it would take one or two minutes more to go another direction but he'd be on tree-lined streets without a lot of traffic maybe cut through a park that sort of thing instead of going down the major boulevard fearing for his life and you know and he said when he figured this out he thought I'll, how horrible all this time I've wasted, trying, or the life force I've wasted while I'm trying to save a minute every day going to work. And so they're working on a, on a way to layer in which is the most peaceful, most quiet, which is the most scenic. Based on an individual's preference. Right. And that is, that and it is learns. critically important because you need to, need to be able to contextualize and personalize it. So understanding what someone's preferences are and then be able to apply that in context. I'll give you a great example. One of the uh, great innovations for marketing is being able to give people marketing messages when it's going to be relevant to them. So for example, you might be passing by your favorite pub and so they send you a message that says, you know, come on in and, and have your second beer free. Right. It's a great offer, except if you receive that push message when you're walking by at 9 a.m. on your way to work. Right. In that case, it might be relevant to you, but it's not in that particular context. Right. And so that's one of the things that is really important for enterprises to think about, is they, they, they need to really think about four things in developing mobile applications. That's first, how do you create a mobile application that you can continuously improve? So one of the things that you need to be thinking about is how do you get feedback on your app? How do you pull in that sentiment analysis, understand if it's being used, what are the issues that people might have with it, and improve it? Because people, whether they're employees or they're consumers, are not going to use an app that is not not delivering value to them. They'll just, they'll just stop using it. So continuously improving is very important. And you need to be able to contextualize, personalize, uh, because that increases relevance. You need to be able to do so securely. So security is critically important. 
before and after building the pandemic. And to be able to enrich your data. And so when you talk about how you contextualize and how you personalize, being able to pull both the systems of records and customer information into that application, as well as information that is behavioral, that it's outside the firewall, to create a complete picture of that image. That's what's really going to make a difference. And so one of the things that we work with with our clients is how do you do these things and how do you how can you do that at scale? Because one of the biggest challenges companies have right now is that they are have tremendous backlogs of mobile apps. Many, many companies have a backlog of 20 plus. So how do they create them and get them into the hands of their employees or get them in front of, of their customers more quickly? And that's something. Right. I just saw the, the think tank wall this morning and noticed it was putting up post-it notes of uh, what they'd like an app to do. Uh -huh. And a couple of them were funny, and I stopped and looked at that. And uh, uh, <laughs> if I put up one there, I'd want an app that got rid of the apps that I don't use. <laughs> you hit them all away or, had, or brought the right thing up when I needed it. Um, and, and I'm thinking about driving again. Well, the first time I got a GPS, I fully remember taking a turn. It was a wrong turn. The, the nice, lovely female voice told me that I was that I needed to take a U-turn. And I said, thank you, and didn't even think about talking to it. And, and then about, you know, the third time that happened, I know, don't tell me, it's what's going through my head. And I, you know, I've long since stopped yelling at the GPS and, and just, it, you know, know that it's gonna get it wrong. But if I take that right turn every day on, you know, on route three, and I turn off to the, to the right, it needs to learn that and know that. And, predict a better route for me and not bother to tell me to go left. Yeah, so, so pulling in that, that insight that's created by the experience, knowing, right. knowing what you like. And it's interesting you were talking about you know an app to get rid of all those extra apps you downloaded. It's very interesting that people will download apps, but they'll quickly either get rid of them or ignore them if right. they're not using it. And, and the average person maybe uses three to four apps with regularity. Right. And so what chief marketing officers are beginning to realize is first that increasingly their brands are experienced through mobile. Mm -hmm. So when you think about how brands are defined, they're often defined by a mobile experience. And consumers will very quickly move on. And if there is, they don't like the experience, they don't find what they, what they need right away, and 50% of consumers will leave an application right. if they're concerned about security and there's no security breach. So mobile experience is becoming very, very important to brands. And then when you think about shelf space, to your, your comment, you know, when you think about going into stores and you know how important shelf space is to brands, well, yeah. your mobile device is shelf space. And right. if you are, you know that a consumer is only using three to four with any frequency, you've got to make sure that your app is, is one of those. Right. Or, or, or don't bother because you're actually hurting yourself. I know I get a lot of apps. I, I do social media things, and so I'm, every time there's a new, especially my big thing is C, CRM. 
if I can get anything that's going to help me manage contacts between yeah. the applications or anything like that, I'm going to give it a try. And of course, you have to go log into all of the apps that you have, all the places. What do you mean you don't have Twitter? You know, how can I use this if I can't use Twitter? Because I'm, I wrote the first book about Twitter. That's my big thing. And, you know, it's actually I use Facebook and LinkedIn as much, but Twitter's what I'm known for. It's like, well, I got to be able to find out, you know, I really would like an app to know whether or not I know the person on Twitter and it's anything else. But before I could find out any of that stuff, I've got to go through three or four screens of thumbing in my name. I'm an old man with bad eyes. I don't want to do that. I want to click one button and then it goes out and reads some data that I have. And my password manager doesn't work with the with Safari. It won't, won't work with some of most of the Chrome. I have to go into the password manager and get its browser to try to do something. And by that time, a lot of apps that were probably really good, I never got to try because it was like just too much hassle to log And you forgot where you started yeah. at that point. You know, that's kind of like most of my questions in the interview, and thank you for playing along. <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting that one of the things that we increasingly expect is that our apps are drawing in insight from other apps. That's, right. that's another thing that is critically important when you're creating an app is how to get those, those APIs that are going to bring in third-party services right. so that you can, you can embed... Uh, Google Maps within an app. You right. can embed Twitter. Right. You can access that information because the more that you can do that, the more that you can guarantee that shelf space. Because if you you have right. those apps that you described, you have to you know put in uh, different uh, passcodes. You have to go and say, oh gosh, you know now I've got to cut and paste this information from Twitter because I can't access it from here. It, yeah, even a, even a person like I, you know, I use every day. I'll use at least ten. So and I have hundreds of apps on every device, and I have iOS and Android, and and you know, and the I use every different format. And I just expect things to work, and. Um, uh, you know, even with all that, and get, and then the getting stuck and everything, there's times when I just don't know what to do next. What do I do? It's not about getting the, to be the top three apps with me. It's like, I want this app on the phone because I like what it does. And then at some point, if I need it, I know where I can go find it. Um, and so there's, a, there's some different use cases. I think that shelf space is important, but that's going to be just one of the things. Yeah. If I have something that fires off every time or makes Facebook app work better, I'm going to love the company that got that to me, and I need to be reminded in some way and pay attention. But maybe you send me an email once a week, summary. You know, here's what we did to make Facebook better for you. And yeah, buy this. And for you, that's that's your profession. That's yeah. That's your work. And so right. for you to be able to be more productive, being able to get that insight that you need so that you can act right. more quickly is critically important. Yeah, I literally put off doing things in business because the app wasn't in the right place. And you know, we all get so lazy. I mean, I'll be sitting in sitting at my computer. It's on. I have the phone, and I realize that iOS this is an Android phone, and and I and iOS. Uh, uh, on the iPad, is got just the app I want to use, but it's in the other room, and I'm upset that I can't get everything that I want where I want it all the time. We quickly go from, well, wasn't it nice that the voice said something to, I got to shut off that annoying voice, and I, I know I can't use navigation when the wife's in the car. 
she doesn't want that's her job to tell me where to go at <laughs> all and so we we quickly adapt and say we don't want things we want things and the better you are at, at getting to that the better your people are going to use however it is whether it's top three or one of a dozen or because the innovation cycle changes so quickly what our expectations are you know with the device changes about every three months right and so you have to be able to adapt and adopt much more quickly yeah it's amazing how many apps i see that are like we don't have that yet, but we're going to get that. And you're like, well, I've been using it two years. <laughs> you, you were kind of past needing, you know, either it works the day I download or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, that's okay. I'll make my decision based on that. Uh, are you now able in the in the things coming up to, to do rapid iterations and yes. pivot fastly? Yeah, one of the big announcements that we made here at Interconnect was the new Google First uh, platform. And what that helps... Uh, this time we're not talking about people because we're not going to pivot to people. <laughs> I'm sorry, we were talking about mobile first right, before right, right, the right. people. Well, that was a callback, people. That was a, an attempt at comedy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it continues to be all about the user and, right. and, 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 and putting power in the hands of the uh, people because we want to help companies very quickly innovate. So with a mobile first platform, what you're able to do is you can use any device, so whether you develop natively on Apple, whether it is a hybrid implementation, whether it is a web, HTML5, any app, whether it's new, whether it's existing, you are able to quickly pull in services that help that continuous, continuously improve by looking at sentiment analysis and the absolute understanding, gosh, we were a five-star app and now we're only four, what's, what's happening, understanding uh, the, the struggle, understanding what the issues are, and then that allows you to more quickly pull in those services. Well, and, and we know from security issues and such, you need to be able to respond right now when something happens and what's expected. I don't think they've come up with a time period too small that people don't want to pass. Exactly. And they want and they want to know of know things. I, I want you to predict when I'm going to have a security threat. I want to forget what predict what my phone's going to need, and you know let me know and let me still have control. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things you want to make sure if you're an enterprise with uh, any amount of applications, you want to make sure that uh, they're secure and there aren't other organizations that can replicate that that app. One of the um, uh, one of the clients that we've been working with is a uh, railroad in China, and they have such high volume that they had the threat of people mimicking their app and selling tickets on a fake application. Oh, oh yeah. And so uh, IBM Mobile First Protect, which is the Mass 360 uh, security application, uh, now ensures that no one can spoof or make a replica of that particular app and that's right. going to be increasingly important for oh, yeah. companies to do. I, I talked to somebody who was working on a on a code that apparently is on Samsung phones. I don't know how widespread the standard is, but he explained to me that the, the need for logging in and having a password was that they're going to be able to know the device so well and they talked about the money uh, he was using Netflix for example, he was in the video delivery business. 
and he said that uh, you know Netflix has people sharing accounts. It's a big loss to them, but more concerned about the fact that they don't know what's being used and they're annoying the users that are legitimate. Because yeah. I'm having to constantly log in and tell Netflix that I'm on a different device and it's not the same device. And did you buy a new phone? All that kind of stuff. Uh, and that yeah. these identities are coming to where it's going to be embedded in a chip and an algorithm where you can't can't lose it. That would be so great for buying tickets. And now I know for sure that I'm the only person that can buy tickets on my account because I only use this device, and it's smart enough to help me change the device. Uh, I th imagine I'm waiting in line to get on a train in China. The last thing I want to be doing is remembering the password. Yeah, especially when it's a big festival and it's a crowded train. And oh, you yeah. Get on that one, uh, you won't be getting on the next few. Right, right. So, great. And it, it really comes down to some common kind of things because it's not that the, it used to be that you, your data and the app were going to be so unique, so special, and lock people into your walled garden. Today, it's just can you do what people expect and do a good job of it and, and build a relationship where people expect you to do that. So, and if people want the right thing in their mobile, where, where do somebody, if somebody's listening and says, hey, I need more of IBM in my mobile, where, where do they go? Is there a website or a place to get started with Absolutely. that? Absolutely. IBM Mobile First uh, is, our, is our website. Okay. And there, now, is it a mobile, ibmmobilefirst.com or is it ibm.com slash mobile first? It's ibm.com slash mobile first. Okay. And so are, you can just, mobile first is one word. If you put that in your browser, uh, IBM Mobile First, you'll come right to the, uh, the site. And what you'll find there is an explanation of how we can help transform okay. applications and how we can help better engage. And that's Good. one of our portfolios so, marketing. And you're working, on, you're working with people that are doing things like the better way to ride a bike to work kind of apps, or is it just enterprise? What's the range? Uh, we are working with a variety of different size companies, including right. very large enterprises. Most of the clients that we work with have already started on their journey. Uh, right. Some are very mature. Uh, we're working with some of them. We're helping them define their mobile strategy. Great. So whether uh, a organization is, is just starting, setting their right. mobility strategy, or they're very mature and they need to accelerate it, we can help. So starting, starting off that you have an idea and it's not happening rather than going to some mobile developer and wasting a lot of time and money coding, and it makes sense to talk to somebody who understands enterprise strategy to start out with. And, and really thinking through your strategy, because if you're a very small company and you can, you know, you've got one app that's good enough, that, that might be fine. But what companies are seeing is that as they grow, they have an increasing need to add applications quickly and secure those applications. And very importantly, what even some very large companies are finding out right now, is it's easy to create an app that has the basic function that you need. Then when you start start to need to tie it into your back-end systems, right. into your customer databases, uh, it's a lot more difficult, you need a lot more security, and you need a lot more speed in order to be able to do that. So that's one of the things. I, I have a friend that, that does mobile app development, for, you know, and he's been in, in coding and whatnot for years, and he knows all sorts of things. And, he explained to me that you know quite often somebody will start up wanting to write an app to go find an app developer, mm -hmm. and that may, person may be good at UI or they may be good at database, right. but the, you know are they both? 
rarely. Right. And then there, I'm only naming two. He had five when he told me this. Um, and, and it makes sense that if you're going to scale and do something, you don't make a, a, an app and then go back and have to re re-architect it from the beginning. Right. I'd say data is one of those things. Data and security are probably things you've got to start with to make sure. They're, they're, very, they're very important to build yeah. in, in, in order to scale. Right. And it may not quite be as quite as sexy as the UI, but you, you don't make a UI and then try to hook something onto the back and go the other way around. It, it's, it's best to think about it holistically. Holistically. Definitely. Well put. Thank you. <laughs> so it's ibm.com slash mobile first or type in mobile first and IBM and you can't miss it. Right. Great. Thank you so right, much for being here today. Thank you so much. Bye.